Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning. The scripture passage we're going to read today is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. You can follow it along with me on the screen. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Morning, church. Happy New Year. Thank you. Uh, you know, I just, uh, and, and passing through a new year and uh, a, a birthday that I've been celebrating for 365 days um, has caused me to sort of look back on my life and uh, been hanging out, spent some time with friends that uh, hadn't seen in a number of years but have been friends with for, uh, you know, almost 20 years. And so you tell stories and you laugh and you talk about uh, days gone by. And uh, it made me realize that there's some things in, oh yeah, junior highs, you guys can go, okay? That's why... That's why they're all leaving. You guys know how it works. The rest of you, stay put. Um, that there's things in my life that I've sort of dabbled in, okay? Just kind of did things here and there. Skating was one of them. I kind of did it for a little while. My parents put me in a little lessons, but like, I'm brown. You know, how many, how many brown guys are in the NHL? Any? None, okay? So I just thought, you know, these things, I wasn't born with them. They don't feel right. This is not for me. So I did it for a little while and then just, just stopped. Um, I dabbled in electric guitar playing because I learned a little bit of acoustic guitar, but then I really wanted to play Master of Puppets by Metallica. So you can't play that on acoustic guitar. So I know some of you, your respect for me is rising even as we speak. The rest of you, I, I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. So I, I bought an electric guitar, a Fender Strat. It seemed like a good thing. Bought an amp with it, like hundreds of dollars. You know, l- practiced a little bit, fumbled around, stopped, left it, dabbled in. I don't know how to play electric guitar, and I've sold those things for less than what I bought them for. That's how it works. So those are things that I've dabbled in. There's other things that I have been very devoted to. Baseball is one of those things that I was devoted to. Watched it from the time I was a little kid, played every chance I could, like wore a patch in my parents' grass in the backyard. Do you remember that thing? That was our pitching mound that just kind of disappeared. And then, and now my son loves it. So now it just goes on, right, for as long as it can in our family. We're a baseball family. I'm devoted. Spent lots of time, energy, um, and, uh, and money on that. Um, the other thing I'm devoted to is snowboarding, and that sort of happened because I was kind of devoted to this girl I met named Jennifer Pete that I was trying to chase down, and she was a great snowboarder, so of course I had to become devoted to that. So spent money, bought a snowboard, got a season's pass, fell countless times. I'm sure I've had minor concussions, like major injuries, more than I had ever had in my life, but I was devoted to this thing. Bought the equipment, still, and it still kind of stuck. I got the girl, right? You know, that's... Uh, so that's how that works. So because I was devoted to her, spent <laughs> time and energy on that, she's still better than me. At that. I'm okay with that. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty much devoted to that. That's still a part of our lives now. Our kids are learning, so that's pretty exciting. Now here's the thing. What, what you dabble in has no ability to change you, right? Stuff you do here and there, 
minor adjustments to your life, a little bit of time, a little bit of money, but you move on. It really doesn't, if you think about it, there's stuff that you've dabbled in over the years, right? It hasn't really changed you because you didn't spend enough time, energy, or money on it. But the things that you're devoted to, those are the things that have the power to change you. The things that I have been devoted to in life have changed who I am as a person. There are aspects of my personality and things that I have become now because I've been devoted to certain things. Certainly, as I've been devoted to my wife, that has changed my life. There are things that you have been devoted to, maybe it's a career path or whatever, and the more time you have spent, the more energy, the more it has affected you and changed you as a person, right? If you're devoted to something, you, you think about it a lot. Uh, and, and you probably talk about it a lot, and probably you hang around with other people who are similarly devoted to those things because you like to share the energy of, you know, kind of mutual passion. And you start to drop off. There's other things that begin to fade away in your life because you were dabbling in those, and those get squeezed out by the things you're devoted to because when you're devoted to, you're giving more of your time, more of your money, more of your energy, and so you don't want to spend it or waste it on these other things that you're dabbling in. And so other things drop off. Other things become more important. Community groups change, and you change as a person or what you're devoted to. That's just human behavior. I'm not describing anything that is foreign to you. But here's the thing. There are things in my life, in your life, that we're devoted to, but maybe weren't, aren't worth our devotion. And maybe after the fact we realized and go, man, I spent a lot of money and time or a season of my life on that, and that's kind of gone now. I kind of wish I hadn't been so devoted to that, so kind of fixed or single-minded on that. There are other things that we have dabbled in that actually if we were d more devoted to would dramatically change our lives in very positive ways. See, if you, if you dabble in, this is, I know this is news to you, but if you dabble in exercise, your body's not going to change. You're not going to become a superior athlete. If you dabble in music, you will not be the Super Bowl halftime show in a few years. If you dabble in the stock market, you will have enough knowledge to be dangerous and probably lose more money than you win. Right? So there's certain things that, if we would only devote ourselves to them more, would actually have dramatic transformational effects in our lives. And other things that we've been devoted to that after the fact, we're like, eh, maybe that wasn't worth my time. Or maybe we're in the middle of it right now. We're like, ah, oh, this is taking up a lot of investment of my life and myself. But how do you know? How do you, how do you know isn't that what life is about, right? How do you know what you should be devoted to and what things are only worth dabbling in, maybe moving on from? And certainly as you kind of grow and get older in life, you want to be more devoted to the things that are worth devotion and less dabbling in the things that really, you know, you don't need time to do. But how do you know? Now, if you're here and you're not, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Christ, the answer I'm going to give you, maybe you might say, well, I don't know if that's the answer, but let me just put it out there for you for a moment, that all of us have had that experience of thinking that something was really worth our time and energy and later realizing it wasn't. So maybe we're not always the best judge of how we know where we should be spending our time and energy. And, and the other thing you think about is that there are people who have what you are so devoted to getting, and it's not enough for them. They're devoted to other things. So it should at least make us go, well, maybe I'm not sure. How do I really know? And part of why we gather together every week in church and we go to God's word and we sing about God's word, we sing about God, is because this book is not an instruction manual for life. Okay, well, so what should I be devoted to 2016? What do I do? God, boop, flip the Bible open. It's not a rule book. It's not an instruction manual for life. But more than, it does give us guidance, but more than telling us what to do, it tells us who we are. 
Because the more we understand who we are, the more we know what to do in life. Now, the book that was read for you, the chapter uh, from a book of Acts that Tony read for you this morning, is a, is a historiography or biography, in a sense, of the church as it began. And the church, as we have said many times here, is not an institution, it's not a building. Clearly, we're not in a, what you would call a church, but we are the church. We are the people of God, gathered together by God. And if you're, this is your first time here, whatever, God's gathered you and you're a part of his church this morning. And so what, what is here is for you. And the book of Acts describes to us not just the historical account of the first church, but it actually says to us, it's, it gives us a pattern for life and says, okay, how are we to live in the path of the early church? The first church, in a sense, becomes the pattern for every church. The first community of Christ followers becomes the pattern for every community of Christ followers. And Noah does not div- give us every bit of instruction, but as you have come together here this morning, and we're going to read from the book of Acts, it actually gives us a pattern for how we are to live and hopefully helps us move into the things that we are meant to, that we are need to, we're desiring to be more devoted to. The passage that Tony read for us is a, is a summary, and, and, and the guy who wrote the book of Acts is, is Luke, who was actually one of the gospel writers, one of the biographies of Jesus, and he wrote Luke and Acts. So if you want to get the whole picture of what happened when Jesus came and how it changed the whole world, read the book of Acts and read, read Luke and then read the book of Acts right after. And in the book of Acts, in the second chapter at the end, there's a few verses that kind of give a summary statement of what happened to this community of people when Jesus died and rose to life and um, gave them the Holy Spirit. And this is what happened. And it describes a number of things that they were devoted to as a community. It says they were devoted to teaching and, and teaching from the Old Testament scriptures and about Jesus. Basically, all of the New Testament says, who was Jesus? What did it mean for us now that he has died and resurrected and gone uh, to be with God? That has changed everything for us. So they were constantly teaching each other, what does it mean now that Jesus has come and is with us? They devoted themselves to that kind of teaching. It says they devoted themselves to this kind of radical community where they lived life together, where what defined them was not their ethnic race or their family background or their socioeconomic status, which is what defined every community in those days. No matter your social status, no matter your gender, no matter your family background, no matter your ethnicity, what mattered was that Christ had come for you, and Christ loved you, and that was the community of Christ for us. So they were radically tight in their community. They became family to one another. Many of them had lost their families because they had chosen to follow Jesus. And so they were a new kind of community together. So they were devoted to learning about Jesus through the apostles, the eyewitnesses, the ones who walked with Jesus. They were devoted to being in community together, radically giving to one another, caring for one another, even caring for those who weren't a part of their community. And it says what happened when they were devoted to these things. Now, interesting, the word devoted, they use it, f- there's used it four times in the book of Acts. All four times, here it's, it says three different things, and one of them is prayer, but three other times it just says prayer. Basically, if you were to say, what was the defining characteristic or mark of this Christ community, of this group of people who came together in Jesus? It was prayer. They were always praying together. They were praying when the Holy Spirit came to them first, when they were still wondering what had just happened, that Jesus had risen from the dead. They were praying together as the church formed every new thing that was happening. Every time someone was, uh, was in trouble, every time someone was threatened with death, if they, would, if they wouldn't stop talking about Jesus, they got together and they prayed. Prayer was the defining characteristic of the church. And then you read in this, in this 
uh, account in Acts, what happened as a result of what they were devoted to. It says here that everyone was filled with awe because of many wonders and miraculous signs. So the Holy Spirit was giving these people power and they were, they were healing people. They were raising people from the dead. They were doing kind of stuff that nobody had ever done or at least Jesus was the first to do it like this. And now it was evident that these Jesus people were doing the same things that Jesus had done. And so people were in awe of the power of these ordinary people, men and women, who seemed to be ha having miraculous power. It says that they, they were radically generous with each other that they would sell property. And property was not just valuable because, you know, it, 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 uh, it, it demanded a price. Property was essentially your inheritance. It was how you lived. If you had land, you had power. If you had no land, you weren't anybody. And so there were people who were liquidating, in a sense, their identity and giving to other people in their community who had no identity, who had need. So there was miraculous signs. There was radical generosity. Um, it says they had joy. They met together daily with glad and sincere hearts. They loved being together. They loved praising God. They couldn't believe this news that had come to them, that Jesus Christ had been sent by God to them because of God's love for them. They were so overwhelmed by God's love and favor on them that they were filled with joy. So it was a community marked by, um, by, by healing and miraculous signs, by radical generosity. It, it even says, like we even know that some of the uh, historians, like the Roman historian Tacitus, and I read for you a couple weeks ago, uh, the Emperor Julian noted these people were not followers of Jesus, but they noted how radical the followers of Jesus were in caring for the sick even, and they said they care better for our own people than we are. What's the matter with us? The first hospitals and hospices and all these places that were established were established by Christians because they were so moved by a radical generosity to the poor because that's how Jesus was and that's how he taught them to live. And so that, that was a part of their community. It says they enjoyed the favor of many people. In other words, people around them, even those who weren't with them, looked favorably upon them. And then it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So people all over the place are saying, yeah, I want to follow Jesus too. I don't understand it all. I don't know. I can't explain. I'm not even a Jew. I'm not from this background. But what you say, I want or I want what you have. And daily people were flocking to this community because of their devotion ultimately to prayer. Now, what is devotion? If we were to say, you know, is it just, we, we use the word, you know, in the context of, if we say, oh, someone's very devoted, we would, we would say, oh, maybe they're, they're very loyal or they're very steady. But the word devotion, if you read how it's described, even in the English translation, but definitely what it means in the Greek, and this, this will not be a surprise to you, there's this idea of clinging, devotion, holding fast to something, not letting go. So this idea of they were devoted, they were clinging to God in prayer. They were clinging to one another. They were clinging to the hope that they had found in Jesus. They were clinging to an identity that was my God, again, here we go. That was not grounded in how well off they were, how beautiful they were, what their family heritage was, what they had in their, in their bank account, whether they own land or not. That's not what they were clinging to. They were clinging to their identity as people, children of God, dearly loved by God. It says, too, in some of your translations, it says, glad and sincere hearts. It's just kind of a weak word in this kind of sounds like okay they were legit you know and they were but the, the 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 word actually is probably better translated like this 
single-minded. Um, oh, dang it, I can't spell. Single-minded. Can you see that? This is, yes, should have been a doctor. Single-minded clinging. It, it's sincere means, in other words, they were, they were so focused on one thing. This idea of devotion meant they was, there was a single-minded clinging to this, and it made them pray all the time. Prayer was not, in that community, this thing that they're like, well, you know, we should do this because we're Christians and we're devoted. No, they, they were clinging to something. They were holding fast to it in a single-minded way. And if I can say this, then, to move from what you dabble in to what you are devoted to. How does that happen? There's two things if we think about this idea of single-minded clinging. Desperation and desire. You'll notice the D alliteration, okay? I think you remember that. What you are devoted to are the things that you are desperate for. That you say, I cannot live without this. Whatever that is, nobody has to tell you to be devoted and to stop dabbling in it. Whatever you are, you are desperate for, what you say, I must have, I cannot live without this. It's this idea, you know, have you, have you ever seen a, a child being dropped off at kindergarten on their first day? And she's like, she's clinging to her mother, you know, rat arms right around, please don't send me into this pit for the next however many years. I can't bear to leave you. There's a desperation. No, don't let go. There's a, a grasping, and, and a child's, like, even though they're so small, their grasp is so tight because they're desperate. No, I can't let go of this. That, they're devoted to their parent in that moment. They cannot let go. There's a clinging. And then desire, imagine, you know, two lovers. Imagine, you know, one shows up at the door, and it's an anniversary or something, and there's a beautiful bouquet of flowers. And the person says, oh, I can't believe you did this for me. You know, you wouldn't say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm devoted to you, so here you go. <laughs> and maybe if you've done that before, it's not a good move, okay? You don't, you don't, want, you don't want, oh, no, I love doing this for you, right? It's my, it, there's desire. It's not, it's not a st stoic kind of, well, I've said I was committed. No, there's this, I want you. I want what we have. I want the love that we have together. I'm to if I desire you, if I desire your presence, your voice to be with you. This is not a conscious sort of A to B to C movement, but when we tap into the things that we are desperate for, or the things that we desire so greatly that burn within us, we find ourselves devoted to these things, right? Nobody has to tell you to be wholly committed to them. So let me ask you this. What is it that you are devoted to? What, what are the things in your life that you cling to because you cannot live without, because you are desperate for? Now, on the surface, you, it might not seem like you cling to anything because we're Canadians. We're very good at kind of being, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not desperate. But what are the things that, if you were to lose, you wouldn't just be disappointed, you would be devastated? 
Maybe you actually had an experience of that where you've lost something. A loved one. A pursuit of love. A job, a job opportunity. Maybe health. And suddenly you feel as if your whole world is coming apart. And you were desperate and you were like that child clinging, saying, no, 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 not this, not this. Don't make me part with this. That is something probably that we are devoted to, that our heart cannot live without. Or what are the things in your life that you desire so greatly you are willing to throw off any other things for? You spend oodles of time thinking about, dreaming about, talking to other people about, pouring resources into. Sometimes just a quick study of the amount of time we spend doing on anything is a clue to what we are devoted to. But as we kind of began this conversation this morning, I confess to you, I think it's true for me, it's probably true for you, there are some things that I give a lot of time to that aren't worth my time. That maybe even have changed me in ways that aren't the ways I want to be changed. And there are other things that I know that if I truly became desperate for, if there was a passion that really burned in my heart for, I would be devoted to them. But the reason I kind of dabble in them is really that I have not cultivated that kind of, I don't have a sense of desperation for them. I don't have a burning desire for them. There's too many other things in my life that are crowding those things out. But if I were to ask you just to take a moment and reflect on the year that's ahead in what you really want for yourself, what you want for your life, and what you want for this church, if I were to ask you to take a moment and think about it in the context of what happened in that first community, that first church, that first group of Christ followers and say, deep down, isn't this what you really want? Wouldn't this have the power to change you? Think about it for a moment. What miracles do you want to see around you or in our church community? Maybe, maybe there's healing that you so desire to see in your life physically, or maybe there's just relationships that are fractured and fragmented in your life that you, if you were deep down, if you thought about it long enough, you know what? These are the things I'm desperate for to be healed and mended. Maybe there are there's miraculous provision that you say, I need, or an open door, it's something that's been closed. These are the things you are really desperate for. What character growth is desperately needed in your life? You know, if you stopped long enough to think about that. Maybe generosity has not really marked your life in recent years. Maybe you find yourself clinging tightly to your own stuff, your own time. You say, yeah, you know, deep down, I'd love to be more free. I'd love to be more generous. Maybe you find your love and patience for others quite thin. You, you have a thimble full of patience, and you, you, you need a vat, a deep well. Maybe that's the character growth you want to see. Maybe joy. You know, when it describes this community is that overwhelmed with joy, glad and sincere hearts meeting together, praising God. Maybe, maybe you say, yeah, that's, I want an overwhelming joy in my heart. That's been low. And I'm kind of going to thing, to thing, to thing. What's next? What's new? Hopefully to kind of prop myself up a little defibrillator, feel a little bit better next. But man, I would love to have more joy in my life. Or maybe self-control. Maybe you say, yeah, that's been lacking in my life. 
Maybe you need a new or a deeper passion for God. Just, just an awareness of his presence or hearing his voice. Maybe for the first time, maybe you say, yeah, I've never felt the presence of God. I've never heard the voice of God or it's been a long time since. And if I stop and actually think about it long enough, this is what I desire. This is what I'm desperate for. I need to hear his voice. I need to know he is with me. If I stop, lo- stop long enough and think. Or you know when it says the Lord added to their number those who are being saved, who in your life needs saving? You know none of us are messiahs, none of us are saviors. We cannot save each other. We cannot save ourselves even. But who in your life do you say, oh God, that one, that one, that one. You need to reach into their life and save them. Your friends, maybe family members. Sometimes family members, they're the ones that we have the deepest pain about because they're so close to us. And yet they seem to be the ones that we can't really help. <laughs> we, we feel most distant from them. They don't want to hear from us. They don't want to, maybe they're pushing us away or we just don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be self-righteous. I don't want to tell them what to do. But I, I so long for them to be saved. Who are those people in your life? Just take a few moments. Maybe you haven't done that yet this year. Just look at that, that screen and say, and, and as you listen, as you think, what, what is your heart really beating for? You say, God, I, I know I need that. Actually, haven't been desperate for it, but I am desperate for that. I am in desperate need of that. Or I greatly desire that. Maybe just this morning you feel a, an ember of a passion, of a flame growing in your heart saying, God, I want that. Just take a moment, just look at it. Just think, what do I really want in my life this year? I'm going to ask you something. How's that going to happen? How's that going to happen in your life? How's it going to happen in my life? I don't know this for sure, but when I read the story of the church, of the pattern of the lives of the people of God, it seems like these things came through a devotion to prayer. That's what it seems like. That it was not something they dabbled in. It was something they were devoted to. It was something that became their primary language of speaking. They were always talking to God. And you know, if I reflect on, on our, our faith community, <coughs> I would say that we are a community that is devoted to teaching from God's word. Many of you come every week. And if you can't, you listen online or whatever. You are devoted to, to seeking God in his word and, and finding life in it. I, I would say that we are a community that is uh, devoted to one another. So many of you are in home groups, and you don't just show up to home groups. You are there 
to care for one another, to lift each other up. I have seen so many instances of people in this community caring for one another. My wife and I have felt so many instances of others caring for us. I've had so many opportunities as people have said, can you help to care for each other? I, I feel like we are growing. We, we are a community devoted to one another. But I would not say that we are a community devoted to prayer, if I'm being honest. If I look at that in my own life, say, is this second nature to me? Is this the thing that just flows out of me? Is this my instinctive response to all of life is to pray? I don't think we're there yet. I think it's where we need to grow. And you might say, well, VJ, I, I pray, like I, I pray, but I'm talking about community prayer. It's interesting, prayer is mentioned 31 times in the book of Acts, okay, 31 times in the history of the church. Only three times is it referred to individually. 28 times they prayed together, they gathered together, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed. It was a communal activity. Why, why, why is there something about community prayer? I can just tell you from my own experience, <coughs> there are things that happen when we pray together that don't happen when I pray by myself. W when we pray together, I I'm, I'm just, I, I literally feel lifted up by the prayers of other people. Just listening to other people pray. It makes me see God in ways that I hadn't seen him before because I'm listening to someone else talk about, in a sense, you know, if God is a diamond with all these cuts and facets that gets reflected and reflected in so many different ways, what I see is different than what another sees, but as they speak about what they see, I go, well, yeah, that is beautiful. Or perhaps sometimes I feel like I can't see God at work. I, have, I haven't heard his voice, and I listen to someone else saying, this is what God is doing in my life. It's actually exciting to me to go, wow, God, you are at work. Wow, you can do things that are beyond what we could hope or ask or imagine. I'm not going to stop praying for what I've been bringing to you. There is a strength that comes when I bring a need that I, can't have, I have no more words for and someone else just takes it to God for me and they start to pray for me. Suddenly I feel strengthened in my soul. There is community that happens. You can feel bonded to people you don't even know. You could have a thousand guys nights out with another dude and you would not get as close as you would in a half an hour prayer time together. There's something that happens when we pray for each other. And for those friendships that already exist, it just strengthens the fibers between us. We can hear God's voice together in community because I know I'm not crazy to by myself. Am I crazy? I'm thinking this. Someone else, no, I heard that too. I thought that too. We read scripture together and suddenly see new things that we wouldn't have seen by ourselves. So much happens in community that simply cannot happen in private prayer. And yes, Private prayer is, is a gift that we can all have. We can go to God and talk to him anytime. We don't need to go through a priest or a pastor or anybody more spiritual than us. We can talk to God ourselves. But the primary context of community shaping, transforming prayer is communal prayer. And I know for many of us it's a terrifying thing, but I'm telling you, it is a game changer for you as we gather together in prayer. <coughs> Prayer, you know, this is interesting, right? Because as a pastor, you give me the privilege of being up here for 30 minutes every week, sometimes 40, okay, if I ramble. 
And so I have to be careful to say, guys, this is the most important thing, or this is the thing you have to be doing. And so we're going here and there and everywhere. But as I reflected and just kind of prayed about this this week, I realized, you know, prayer is the one thing that has the potential to change everything. I, I don't know how this happens, but this can happen in one night, in one prayer night where I go. And let me just say, like, many times I don't have faith for anything. I'm the pastor. The only reason I'm there is because I organized the meeting, so I have to be there. If given the choice, maybe I give an eye, I'm like, oh, I'm too tired, or the sun's out, or whatever, blah, 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 there I am. And over the space of 90 minutes, I find I'm closer to God after. I feel closer to my brothers and sisters. I feel like I have more faith. So this has changed. This has changed. I myself have changed. There are things in my character maybe that God has just worked on or things that he brought up that he wanted to talk to me about that I wasn't aware of. I feel more peace. And so my relationship with God has changed. My relationship with each other has changed. My relationship with myself has changed. And even the world has changed in prayer. It is the one thing that has the power to change everything. And you might say, well, is, does the world really get changed through prayer? Because VJ, I've prayed. I've prayed a lot for things. And my short answer is, I don't know. I don't always, I don't know what God is doing in your life. I don't know why he is not answering this or that, but here's what I do know. I still think that Michael Jordan is the best ever. Okay, that's just what, I, I will show my kids YouTube videos because I don't want them to miss this. Like six finals MVPs. Highest points per game average, highest points per game in the NBA finals. But he was also a guy that was known as the first one there and the last one out. Free throws, turnaround jumpers, box jumps, squats, suicides, all those times in the gym practicing. Now let me, let me ask you, when, when he kind of dribbles right, goes left, goes over top of Elo and hits that shot in the, in the uh, or whatever conference it was that took them to, when he you know, literally took over those games, which, which day of practice was it that led to that success? Which turnaround jumper in practice led to him being able to do that in a game? You don't know. Was it, can, you, can you tie any one practice, any one day to that MVP or that bucket? No. But the cumulative effect of what he was so obsessed with and devoted to over his life led to that. And the same is with prayer. Can, can I tie any one prayer? Oh, it was this prayer that changed that? I, I, I don't think so. But the cumulative effect of something that I am devoted to over long periods of time slowly has the power to change me. And over years and years, there are things in my life that I know I have now that I never would have had if someone hadn't prayed for me, had been devoted to prayer for me. There are things in my life that I have now that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't have said, okay, fine, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this over and over and over again. And so it does have the power to change the world. You're just not going to be able to say, oh, this led to that. But it is the one thing that has the potential to change everything. It changes my relationship with God. It changes our relationship with one another. It changes our relationships with ourselves, and it changes the world. So the only thing that I know about this to become this way, 
to realize what I'm actually desperate for instead of the things that I say I can't live without, to know what I really deeply desire and need to desire instead of the things that I say this is what I want more than anything else. All devotion begins with a date, right? Any love story usually begins with a date. And so that's kind of what I'm putting out to you is these dates, this week, is our week of prayer. It's the reason we gather together at the beginning of the year and say, God, we are desperate for you. What do you want for our lives? How do you want a guidance? I don't want another year of driven my own agenda. Is uh, On my 40th birthday, I kind of just spent some time journaling in the morning, and I was sitting there just kind of writing. And I f- felt like God saying to me, it's halftime. You're 40. Okay, you get a pass in your first 13 years. You didn't really know what you were doing. <laughs> 13 to 20, you're making some decisions. But for 20 to 40, y- you're supposed to be responsible for stuff. But, but you know now at 40 a lot more than you did when you were 20. Maybe there's lots of stuff you did between 20 and 40. You're like, well, it was the first time I was trying this, trying that. But now you know. Now you know what actually leads to life in your life. Now you know what you really want. And then I felt like he said to me, how are you going to get it? How are you going to become the husband that you so desperately want to be? How are you going to become the father that you long to be? How are you going to become the pastor that you want to be? How are you going to become the man on the inside that is strong and real and humble no matter what is going on outside. How is that going to happen, BJ? It's not going to happen by you only dabbling in things that you really need and spending a lot of time devoted to things that aren't necessary in your life. So that date time is really important to me every morning. I know I need it. But I, but I know I need this week, and I don't just come to this week of prayer just because I'm the pastor of this church. It does something for me. And so maybe you've never been to one of our prayer nights before. Uh, they're different. Sometimes we pray for each other. Sometimes we pray on our own. Sometimes we pray for other people who aren't even a part of our church. Lately, we've just kind of been sitting in a circle, someone playing some music for us, and just beginning to say, what is God saying to you? How do we know how God is speaking. And those of you that have been, those have been amazing nights. So maybe you've never been before and you say, okay, I'll come once. Or maybe you've been once, you're like, okay, I'll, I'll come every night. What do you need to cancel or reprioritize to be there? We all have full lives, right? And none of you have extra time, I know that. So something's gotta go. Something's gotta be canceled. So you made plans with something, just cancel it. So your kid's gonna skip gymnastics or baseball or whatever for one night. So skip it. What's gonna happen? Nothing. But you need this. I need this. We need to be together. We need to let God reshape our mind and heart and point us in his direction. And maybe you've never been to one of our monthly prayer nights. Just get there and say, okay, God, I'm here. Here's my date. What's going to happen next? This morning we have a chance to take communion together. And the communion elements remind us of this, that God does not need your devotion. 
Okay, so you don't need to feel guilty because he doesn't need you to do anything. He doesn't manipulate you to do anything because he somehow needs to know that he's in control. He is in control. He made the whole earth. He doesn't need you and me to do anything. God doesn't need your devotion in order to bless you. He doesn't need you to show religious observance so that he will be kind to you. The communion elements remind us that God already is devoted to us. They are the elements that remind us of the cross on which Christ died that are the symbol of God's unending, desperately clinging love. It's almost embarrassing, right, to think that God would cling to us. Not because he needs us, but because he loves us. The cross says, I will never let you go. I love you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how much you have dabbled in everything and been devoted to nothing. I don't care. I love you. Our response of devotion to God is always a response of his devotion first, right? The scriptures say this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. And so Tony's going to lead us in, in inviting us to, to receive this so that we know, hey, God, this is a symbol of your clinging love. You're holding fast to me. You're refusing to let go of me. Your commitment to, to, to forgive my sin, to change my life, to make me more and more like your son, Jesus. You are not going to let go of me. And so as Tony lead, leads us in that, we can take part joyfully in it. My benediction for you is that um, you will have an experience of God clinging to you. I think more than anything, that's what we need to know. Um, I have a little son, the youngest one, and he will run up and grab me and hug me. And it's one of those things that in the moment both makes me feel so loved and yet almost I'm about to trip. I cannot do anything unless I acknowledge his grasp. And that's just a little five-year-old. I just want to bless you with the grasp of God on your life that in one moment makes you know in your core that you are loved, that you were desired, and yet is so tight that you cannot move without acknowledging it and saying, okay, what do you want for me? That you would have that kind of an encounter with God. Would you receive that?